Okay. So, uh, it's been a couple weeks, been a few weeks. A lot has happened in the world. Um, I could honestly, I honestly asked the Lord, I was like, you know, Lord, should I just spend the whole hour just talking about current events? And I got to no, but I got some highlights here anyway. Um, so the first one actually broke this week. Um, is, and that's why I got the map up here coming back from our, from our discussion back in Obadiah. Israel is actually uh, planning on pushing Hezbollah back 18 miles into Lebanon. Okay, now this goes back to a 2006 resolution that said that Hezbollah had to be north of, the, of this river right here. Okay, I don't know if y'all can see that, right? But it's this river right here, which is, if you do the math and, and all the map here, it's about five miles south of Zarephath. Well, if you remember... Um, Obadiah 17 through 21 says, but on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them and no survivor shall remain in the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken, the south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowland shall possess Felicia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captains of this host of the children shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, which is right here, again, just five miles north, roughly five miles north of that river line. And the captives who are in the Sepharad will shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So if that ends up happening, they push them north of here, right? The question then becomes, who's going to occupy this territory? At this point, Israel does not want to occupy that territory, but they may not have a choice. They may not have a choice because what happens is that rockets kind of come down. If you look at this map here, we're talking about this area basically right here is where the rockets come into the northern aspect of Israel, right, from Hezbollah. Okay, the river's like basically right on this line, like right here. So if they push them back north, we could eventually, again, potentially be seeing the fulfillment of Obadiah through Psalm 81 that's kind of happening. And then we know that, that uh, more and more uh, terrorist organizations continue to come in. The Houthi rebels in, in Yemen are a big part of that. That's part of the Saudi Arabia piece, the Arabian Peninsula. We talked about that before. We know that there, there are forces in Assyria. We know Hezbollah is here. We know that Hamas is down here. The Palestinian Authority hasn't done anything from West Bank. The only thing that we're really waiting for is someone from Jordan, um, from Amman, from someone down in this Esau and kind of the mountainous area of Esau, and then someone in the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. And then we might really be seeing the fulfillment of Psalm 81. But we, it continues to expand over time, right? And that's something that I want you to, to be aware of because we're looking at, at this. And, and they, I'll read this article to you from, from the Times of Israel where it says, Defense Minister Yoav Gallant meets mayors and heads of council located near the Lebanon border in the north, promising them that their communities evacuated since frequent border skirmishes began in October in the shadow of the war against Hamas will not be returned home until the Iran-backed Hezbollah terror group is driven north of the Latani River, according to the Hebrew media reports. UN Security Council Resolution 1701, which ended the Second Lebanon War in 2006, barred Hezbollah from maintaining a military presence south of the Latani, which is located some 30 kilometers or 18 miles north of the Israel-Lebanon border. Hezbollah has blatantly violated that resolution, and regularly launches attacks on Israel from the near border. During the tense meeting in Nahariya, Gallant says that the best option is for Israel to reach a diplomatic arrangement that will cause Resolution 1701 to be enforced. If that doesn't succeed, Gallant tells the local leaders Israel will act with all the means at its disposal to push Hezbollah back by military actions. Okay, so again, potentially seeing, as we kind of talked about when this whole thing started, Potentially looking at the fulfillment of, of, of that portion of Obadiah. Okay, so that, that's a big deal. That, that just kind of came out yesterday. Now, another very, very big deal um, is that the FDA, the FDA just approved the use of CRISPR gene editing in the, in the treatment of sickle cell anemia. Okay, great breakthrough from a medical standpoint. Not denying that. It's going to be very, very good for those people. However... I want you to understand the backdrop of this here. Um, this is actually from Yahoo Finance. 
um, that says Silicon Valley personalities have become obsessed with investing in practices and technology to slow the process of aging. Yahoo Finance health reporter Angelica Milani details a new cultural trend as medical providers question the overuse of certain procedures or lifestyle changes. Well, modern technology is getting better every day, but is immortality possible? Well, some people in Silicon Valley seem to at least want to want to try. Yahoo Finance reporter Angelique Kalami joins us, okay? And then she goes on and says, yeah, it certainly is. It's something that has actually been taking place for quite a number of years in the sense that we've seen a lot of investment, a lot of Silicon Valley money, and just generally the billionaires of the world invest in trying to stay healthy for longer or defy age. And so added to that, we've seen recently the use of medical devices in that. So while CRISPR is going to be good from a gene-ending standpoint for the people that have sickle cell anemia, it is not a stretch to say, given where the money is backed from this from Yahoo Finance, this is on, on the web, right? This is a normal news article uh, that, that it's not a far cry away to saying, hey, we can manipulate your genes in order to make you live forever, right? Okay, now... A lot of, of privacy teachers, a lot of a lot of people out there believe that the mark of the beast does have something to do with gene editing, right? That's why once you take the mark, there is no chance, no hope, no recovery, right? Now, we're, we should all be gone at that point, so it's not a concern of ours, right? We should all be up in the rapture, okay? I want you all to go with me when we go, all right? You know, assuming I make it, I'm still working on it. Lord's still working on me too, right? But at the end of the day, though, I think it's important for us to understand that the technology is here. And the technology is, is frankly, going across the, across the board. And, and this is how it works, and this is from NBC News. In patients with sickle cell disease, red blood cells, which are usually disc-shaped, take on a crescent or sickle shape. This change can cause cells to clump together, leading to clots and blockages in the blood vessels, starving the tissues of oxygen. Kaskevi works by editing the DNA in a patient's stem cells, which are responsible for making the body's blood cells so that they no longer produce sickle-shaped cells. While technically a one-time treatment, a number of steps that span months are required before the patient actually gets the modified stem cells. It begins with a series of blood transfusions over three to four months, after which the stem cells are extracted from the patient's bone marrow and then sent off to lab where they are edited. Before they can be reinfused to the patient, however, doctors need to make sure no flawed stem cells remain in the body. To do so, chemotherapy is used to destroy the patient's bone marrow. Only then can the edited stem cells be reinfused into the patient, followed by another month or two in the hospital to allow the stem cell, allow the cells to grow and the patient to recover. So that's the process that's going to happen. They're going to actually edit the genes, wipe out your immune system, wipe out the bone marrow, which is where all your cells are generated, and then jumpstart all over with the edited gene. Do you understand how that could very easily develop into something else? Absolutely. Okay? So that's a big deal, right? And another big step into, into what, what's coming and, frankly, what's, what's about to happen. So with the end here, okay? Now, another thing here that I want to talk about just very, very quickly. Man, there's, there's just a lot, okay? There's just a lot. But I'm trying to hit the big, big highlights here um, is that we are now looking at uh, the United States is now pushing a two state solution. So I want to be make sure that we understand that this came out. Um, what is today? The, the 13th This came out yesterday from The Wall Street Journal. President Biden and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu clashed Tuesday over who should govern Gaza after the war. In a remarkable public display of differences emerging between the two leaders over the conflict, speaking during a fundraiser in Washington, Biden made his toughest remarks since the war began about Netanyahu's government. He suggested that its hardline stance has prevented Netanyahu from accepting the Biden administration's post-war plan to have the Palestinian Authority take over Gaza, and that it would also obstruct progress toward political, economic, and security arrangements that could spawn a separate Palestinian state. An outcome the U.S. president sees as a long-term solution to the conflict. Okay, so we have now begun to push for a two-state solution with Israel. Okay, so that is not good. All right, I want to be clear for that. And like I said a few weeks ago, the moment that we stop supporting Israel and they're right, and we start trying to push this two-state solution, we are opening ourselves up for judgment as a nation. That's the fact of the matter. Just want to be clear about that. And look, it's going to affect all of us because you know what? It rains on the just and the unjust alike. That's right. Okay? That's fact of the matter. Now, we have Christ, 
and he will protect us. He'll watch out for us. He will do all those things. But it's important that we understand that not only is it the United States, but also the UAE is pushing for an international effort to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as discussions gain momentum about how to rebuild and govern Gaza after the war. The UAE, an oil-rich state in the Persian Gulf, will condition financial and political support for the reconstruction of Gaza's infrastructure on a viable U.S.-backed path toward a two-state solution. So the money is going to be fronted by the UAE on a U.S.-backed two-state solution. If that ends up happening, we're in trouble. Just mark my words on that. We're in trouble. Okay? So, again, something else to watch for and, and to kind of see what happens. Now, the last thing I have is, 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 uh, is pretty interesting, and I'll, I'm going to get to this pretty quick, quickly. There are alarms grow, growing over weakened militaries and empty arsenals in Europe. So if you remember, I told you all uh, probably months ago at this point when we were going through all the wars that the United States was not going to come to Israel's aid at some point. Well, we could start be seeing why this is. The, the Russia-Ukraine war has drained Europe from its arsenals. Okay, This is, again, from the Wall Street Journal. The British military, the leading U.S. military ally and Europe's biggest defense spender, has only around 150 deployable tanks and perhaps a dozen serviceable long-range artillery pieces. So bare was the cover that last year the British military considered sourcing multiple rocket launchers from museums to upgrade and donate to Ukraine, an idea that was dropped. Yeah, literally going to the museums to get stuff. Okay. France, the next biggest spender, has fewer than 90 heavy artillery pieces, equivalent to what Russia loses roughly every month on the Ukraine battlefield. Denmark has no heavy artillery, submarines, or air defense systems. Germany's army has enough ammunition for two days of battle. Okay? So Europe's been depleted. And if you remember, I told you that, that the Ukraine war had depleted Europe, right? And that it had depleted NATO. All right? Now, if... China decides to invade Taiwan in the coming years, which most analysts say that's happening in either 24 or 25. You know, don't know. Don't know. Lord hasn't told me anything. Not saying that's what's going to happen. China's going to, China will invade Taiwan at some point. Okay. And when that happens, there's going to be no coffers in NATO, no ammunitions, no nothing in NATO. Okay. So at that point, it's going to fall in the U.S. alone. To defend Taiwan the way that we have said that we would. But at the end of the day, the Ukraine war, we've been giving so much over to Ukraine. Now we're starting to give munitions to Israel, which is a good thing. But then on top of that, our coffers are about to be drained too. Right. So a weakened West, a weakened United States. And then guess what is also happening? You're having economic and military compliance with the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China. South Africa, uh, Iran just joined, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Argentina, all these other nations just joined in the developing world. We are looking at the full-blown, not just entering anymore, but the full-blown time of iron and clay as prophesied by the book of Daniel. Make sense? Okay. So all of that is material to kind of what's happening, right, and, and to everything. There's just a lot that happened, and, and there's more that I could go into, but like I said, I asked the Lord, and, and I would have gone, loved to have gone just current events the whole time, although I did do it for 15 minutes. But, but at the end of the day, it's important for us to understand what's happening here, right, because we are one step away here, okay, from, you know, if, if this is where it goes, you have depleted West, you have the developing countries coming in. They're on, they're on an even playing field at that point. Okay. Then there's going to be chaos that reigns through the world yeah. at that point, right? And when there's chaos, guess who comes? An antichrist, right? An antichrist comes. We're not that far away, folks. No, we're not. Just being honest here. Could be a decade, could be 15, could be 20 years. I don't know. Could be tomorrow. I, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I can tell you the signs and the way things are lining up here and the way that things are happening, it's coming. It's coming very quickly. So with all that, um, tonight I want to talk about the two churches in the end. Okay? So two churches in the end, Matthew 24, um, 42 through 51 is where we're going to be talking about here. 
Um, we'll bounce around a little bit, as is per my typical teaching. Um, but, <laughs> you know, but at the end of the day, Matthew 24, 42 through 51 is the main scripture. And here's what the, here's what the Bible says. This is, why, this is Christ talking. And it's right at the end of Matthew 24, which we know is the prophecy about his return, right? Okay? So this is what he says. He says, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household? to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, and at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay. Now, again, the context of this scripture is the return of Christ. That is the context of all of this. Now, the first thing I want to say here, and there's a couple things here, is that he lays down the foundation that no one knows the hour of the day. Okay. And this is true. We have no idea when Christ is coming back. We have no idea when that trumpet's going to sound rapture of the church. We have no idea when he's going to part the eastern sky, ride back in with all of us, uh, you know, falling back for show. We have no idea when any of this is going to happen, right? And he kind of lays that foundation there that we don't. So this, that's why it's so important, particularly at this time, to stay as intimate with him as we possibly can, because we don't know. That's why I also try and give you updates on current events as well. Because I want you to see the puzzle pieces come into play here and what's actually happening. Now, he likens his coming to a thief. And I think this is interesting. Because if you remember the teaching in Zechariah 5, there's a curse that's gone out through all the world, for uh, specifically for the thief and for the robber. The context of that is that we must make sure that our houses, our relationships with the Lord, you are the temple, you are the house, right, are being kept at all times. Or else we will allow a thief, or going back to Zechariah, another doctrine come in that will take us aside. Do you understand that? We will allow a thief or another doctrine to take us aside. Now, why is that important? Because right now, there is so much false teaching happening everywhere that if we are not sure with Christ, if we are not rooted and grounded in his scripture, if we are not intimate with him on a regular basis, it is very easy for us to be thrown with a different wind of doctrine. Do you understand that? Okay. I cannot stress that enough because if another doctrine invades, then you're in trouble or we're in trouble or I'm in trouble, right? It's very, very important. So this is exactly what kind of happened to Israel at Mount Sinai, too. They camped before the Lord for almost a year. And if you read what happened from that time until Numbers 14, you'll see the further they got away from Mount Sinai, the further they got away from that intimacy of, of being on the mountain, despite the fact that he still walked with them in the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, and the cloud of smoke, that honestly, they despised the presence of the Lord. And there are a lot of people that despise the presence of the Lord, which is a very, very, very dangerous thing to be. But anyway, the further they got, the more iniquity came in them. If we're going to make it to the end, we are going to have to stay close, stay intimate with him, right? I cannot exp express that enough, okay? So after that, though, Christ begins to, the, to break down the difference between the faithful and the wise servant. The first thing I want to say before we get into that is that he is talking to his servants. <clears throat> He's not talking to the world here. Okay, he's not talking to the world. He's talking to his servants. He's talking to the ones that believe. Okay, and he's talking to two different different people, two different groups of people. Now I'm going to say two different churches: one faithful church that will remain intimate with him, that will walk with him; one unfaithful church. Okay, and why am I saying church? Because they're still all servants, still all believe supposedly, right? So I'm not the one to judge the heart, but I want to be clear about this. 
So the first one is that the faithful servant provides food in its due season. This is not just talking about natural food, but spiritual food. We are all called, if you are a believer and you had any time or any type of maturity in this walk, you have a responsibility to teach others. Right now, maybe you're not going to stand up here and do do this, right? Maybe you're not going to teach Sunday school or maybe you're not going to do that, right? But you have a responsibility one-on-one to help people and to teach them and to give them guidance according to the leading of the Spirit. That is all of our responsibilities, okay? This is what what Paul told Titus in Titus 2, 1 through 10. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond service to be obedient to their masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, but pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. How is How am I supposed to learn as a man how to be a good father if I don't have good fathers in front of me? Where should I learn how to be a good father? From my own father? Yes. But also from fathers inside the church. That's the way it's supposed to be. Look, I've got kids. They're only three and one. You think I got this father thing figured out? Absolutely not. No, I'm not even close. I got graced by the Holy Ghost, though, and from, and from Jesus Christ. I'd say that much. And my kids are great. I, I love them to death. But I want to be clear about that. How is a woman supposed to learn how to act, how to grow, if she doesn't learn from other, uh, other women in the church? That's right. That's why things like the women's group, that's why things like the men's group, all of that stuff is so important. We're supposed to learn. The, the ones that have maturity, and I thought we were supposed to pass that down. And that is where we have failed. Do you understand that? Like, that's where we failed. If we're going to teach someone how to be a faithful servant, right, if we're going to teach that, if we love the Lord with all that we have, then I should be pouring into as many people as I possibly can, right? I have to be faithful over those things. It is a responsibility that all of us have. Look, I can teach my wife scripture and how to be led by the Spirit, but when it comes to what it means to be a godly wife and a godly woman, I don't know. I'm not a woman and I'm not a wife. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm just being honest, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not. She has to learn that from all of you at that table, right? Or from others, right? That's where she has to learn that, right? See, we learn what to do and we can learn what not to do from people. And then the Holy Spirit will fill in the gaps that we need. But if we want to be a good and faithful servant, we've got to be willing to train up others, to invest in other people, to be able to make sure that they have the food and nourishment to be raised up into the way of Christ, right? Now, it's the responsibility of the parent. It is my responsibility to my parents to raise up my sons in the way that they are going, they should go, right? That is my responsibility. But guess what? On the other end, if you guys see something, if you want to help when you're teaching Sunday school or Isaac's in class right now, he needs to be learning then too, right? That's exactly it. That's the whole point, right? And we've been working on it. He's doing pretty well. He's, you know, I got him saying that I'll ask him who the king is and he'll say Jesus. And I'm like, really exuberantly too. And I'm pretty happy with that. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask myself this question, too. Who are you pouring into? Who are you pouring into? Who are we discipling? Who are we the ones that are supposed to be teaching other people to do to for the things that are coming? And look, I'm talking to myself here, too. Right. I have to look to others to really figure out, Okay, what does it mean to be a good father? I have a three year old and a one year old. Right. Like, I got to look to others. Right. To show me and to teach me. And then I also have to rely on the Holy Spirit as well. But it's a very important question because if we're going to be a faithful servant, we've got to be able to provide for the household. That's what the scripture said. Okay? He's talking to faithful servants. Not just me, not just Dave, not just Judy, not just everyone. Again, you can do it one-on-one. It's important. I cannot stress that enough. So, understanding all that, All of us are called to do what we just talked about, 
But we also must be abiding in the calling and doing the things that the work that God has called us to do. If we're found worthy, if we're found working, we are also worthy of the reward. Okay? If we're found working. Now, what is that work? I can tell you in my own self. Okay? My own self. That my work is this on Wednesday nights. This is what I'm responsible for. Dave hasn't trusted me with this. When I'm in town, I will be teaching on Wednesday nights if I'm not traveling for work. Or I'm not on vacation. <laughs> so so that, that I'm serious. That when I'm here on a Wednesday, I will be here. Right? Now, on the flip side of that, too, what are my other responsibilities? I have a podcast. That is a responsibility the Lord has placed on me. I will be faithful over that. I will do that every week. I have another responsibility. I'm writing my second book right now. That is another responsibility that the Lord has put on me to get out and to get and to be done. And I have certain timelines. I'm telling you, he's a tough editor. So I'm, I'm, I'm serious about that. But I'm telling you this right now. Those are the things that I'm responsible for. Those are the things I have to be faithful with. I'm going to give you a little bit of insight into my own walk with the Lord. Because the Lord has been dealing with me about focusing on the things that he has put directly in front of me. Do not worry about the things on the right. Don't worry about the things on the left. Don't worry about the things in 10 years from now or five years from now or anything else like that in terms of me, myself, personally. Focus on the things that are right in front of me. Focus on the things that he wants me to do. Focus on the things and be faithful in it. See, we can focus on all that, but the part that we oftentimes miss is being faithful in it. If God's given you a responsibility, it is a responsibility. It's no different than showing up to work every day. If you don't show up to work every day, what are they going to do? They're going to fire you, right? But yet we think that God can just give us a pass because he's so gracious and loving, right? God is gracious and loving, and he will give us chance after chance after chance. But if he has entrusted you to do something, you better do it, okay? That's the fact of it. That's what it means to be a faithful servant. That's our responsibility. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Look, to whom much is given, much is required. We live in this nation that, that you know, Dave said it a couple of weeks ago, where even the poorest of us still live like kings compared to the rest of the world. Amen. So understanding that, we have been given much. What are we doing with it? <coughs> much is required, right? That's the, that's the, the aspect of, of the being in the faithful servant. Again, this is scalable. Luke records the same parable in, in Luke 12, 35 through 40, where he says, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return for, from the wedding, and that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those whose servants, whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into. Therefore, also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in at an hour where you do not expect. And he goes on, and there's some things that we'll talk about this at the end, but he says, but he who did not know, yet committed these th- committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So we've got to understand that we have responsibilities. We have responsibility for the work that God has placed in our heart, in our lives, and we have a responsibility to do it. It is no different than waking up and going to work every day. Yeah, that's the honest to God truth. And that's the way that we should approach it, honestly. It's a responsibility. We have to do that. Now, the third part of the faithful servant is blessed is the servant whom his master finds him so doing. The reward for being faithful is that we are made ruler over his goods. If we are faithful over what God has given us to do, then when he returns and finds us working, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 4, dare any of you, having a matter against against another, go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's our reward if we're found faithful when he comes, right? And if the world will be judged by you, and you and are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? 
How much more things that pertain to this life, if then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? And, and Paul's just saying this to their shame. He's trying to put them in place because of the disputes that were going in, in in the Corinthian church. But the truth still makes the same. We will judge this world with Christ. We're going to rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom. Amen. Dave always says he's got Ohio locked down. <laughs> right? I mean, that's cool. You know, I don't need something as big as Ohio. I'll take Rhode Island. I'm good with that. You know, know? I'm good with that. I can take Rhode Island, you know. But you get what I'm saying, though, right? That's the cost. You've got to be faithful. You've got to be doing it. If Jesus comes back tonight, are you doing the work he has set before you? Okay. That's the question we have to ask. I cannot answer that. Only you can answer that. But we are going to rule and reign with him. And we have to understand that. Now, there is a church body, a remnant of people that are going to act that way. There is a remnant of people who will sell everything they got, that will follow the Lord, that will do everything they possibly can for him. That will be faithful. When he tells them to, to go and do something, they will go and do it. When they have a work to do, they are faithful in it, day in and day out, right? There is a people that are doing that. And then there are church people that are not doing that. And we're going to talk about this. The evil servant, the, the first thing you have to understand about the evil servant is where his heart lies. And he says that he, my master delays his coming. Think about that for a second. There are people that are believers that do not believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. That is a truth. That is a fact. Right now, I've talked to them. I've, yeah, I'm telling you, there are people in every single congregation, doesn't matter if it's Church of God, Apostolic Assembly, doesn't matter any of that stuff, that will say right now that Jesus isn't coming back. They'll say prophecy is more symbolic than it is anything else. It's not literal. And unfortunately, a lot of it's my generation that says that, unfortunately. Just being honest, you know, about it. They believe that, oh, you know, that prophecy stuff's for, for back then, right? It's not for now, even though it's literally being fulfilled right before their eyes, if they only knew, right? So there is a people that says that the master delays his coming, okay? Now, there are major congregations that do not believe in the millennial kingdom. They're still part of the church. They're still part of the, of the, of, of the, the overall church, right? But they deny that the millennial kingdom is real. They believe it is some type of, of uh, you know, symbolism of what the church is supposed to bring to this earth. And then you walk into the judgment. And I'm going to list them. It's the Eastern Orthodox, the Catholic Church, the Lutheran, the Reformed, the Anglican, and the Methodist. Now, there's some other smatterings up there, too, in terms of smallest things. A lot of Amish folks don't believe in that in the millennium either. But not every one of these, not everyone in these denominations believes this, but their denominations do. And then they largely hold that all of this was started by John Darby, that the, the rapture was made up by him. Well, I'm sorry, you can look at scripture and you can find it, right? If you need help walking it through, let me know. Okay, now, why is that important? Because at the end of the day, if you don't believe your master's coming back, you can do whatever you want. But here's the other thing, too, is that even if Jesus, isn't, even if Jesus wasn't coming in the clouds, which he is, I want to be clear about that. He is coming. Amen. Okay. Even if he wasn't, you're still going to face him when you die. Amen. But it doesn't change the fact, though, that the unfaithful servant doesn't think about that. He thinks it's far off. I'm going to die when I'm an old man, not in a car crash leaving, which is very possible. Right. So what do they do? They begin to push everything off and they start with, you know, Jesus says that they were. They began beating fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. Now, I want to reverse these for a second start with the eating and drinking with drunkards this is more of the fullness of iniquity they no longer serve god but they serve themselves okay iniquity is the concept of self it is looking at me 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 i i i and that becomes the focus the fullness of the cup of iniquity becomes to get to, to get full a lot of the the denominations that i meant and said, allow for drunkenness. They support the LBGTQ agenda. They're focused more on the business of church rather than the true work of the church, which is to save souls, to see people raised up into the measure and the stature of who Christ is, to grow, if you will. 
right? They will also fight you and call you a bigot and speak evil of you if you call out any of these aspects. They will begin to beat the true servants of God, and they will do everything they can to ruin your reputation, to ruin who you are, and to ruin everything that, that you even hold sacred in the Lord. That's their goal. That's the unfaithful servant. And I got news for you. It's not just those, those denominations. There are those people in every single church body on this planet. Amen. On this planet. Adam, well, I'll skip that story. It's not really appropriate. But the reward here is clear. They will be cut into and will have their portion with the hypocrites, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right? The context of this is the is the return of Christ. I would argue they're going to have to go through the tribulation. They're not going. God will not allow an unfaithful servant to go up in the rapture. We know that. Why? Because he tells us, look, make sure that we pray and that we watch, that we are accounted worthy to escape these things, right? Why would he say that if he didn't mean it? Do you understand that? Unfaithful servant. Yes, absolutely. That is the the pushback you get on that last statement you made is incredible. Mm -hmm. Everybody that says it ain't going. That's exactly it. And that's what I have tried to push in my life because it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's supposed to be just a pew one. No, absolutely not. Nobody's supposed to not have a function. That's exactly. If you're 95 years old, you can still pray. Come on. Mm-hmm. But now if you're 45 years old, you have to be about the kingdom. Exactly. And so, but they don't believe that. Half this congregation does not believe it. And, we, and when you bring that up, get ready to fight. Well, the unfaithful servant, they're going to try and beat you down. They're going to try and do that. That's what the scripture says, and that's what we're seeing. There are two churches formed right now. There is the faithful church, and there's the unfaithful church. Okay? That's what it is. That's what's happening right now. Anyone that does not do the work, well, let me rephrase it. Let me start back. People that don't believe that Jesus is coming back and the rapture is not happening soon are in that unfaithful bunch. Guess what? Can you be healed if you don't believe that God heals? Can you be saved if you don't believe that God saves you? Guess what? You're not going up in a rapture if you don't believe there's a rapture. That's right. Right? If you don't believe he's coming back, you're not going. Sorry. That's that's the principle the of the matter. The book says you have to have that belief to keep yourself the way you're supposed to be kept. That's exactly it. That's what First John 3. That's exactly it. And that's the thing is that if you know your master's coming, if you know he's coming, you're going to do right. You're going to make sure there's nothing in between the two of you. You're going to make sure that you're as intimate as possible as you can be. You're going to make sure you're faithful over the work that he's given you if you believe the master comes back. If you don't believe he's coming back soon, you're going to do the complete opposite. That's what Jesus Christ is saying here. And again, the context of this is servants. The context of this are the people that are believers. The context of this is in the age that we are living in right now at the very nearness of his coming. That's the context of all of this. Christ is literally speaking to us right now in this scripture. That's the context and the time. Now, anyone that doesn't believe that he that does not work at what he has given them, they fall in the same boat. Numerous people, I know numerous people have turned up their nose at their call and said, you know what, I don't want any part of it. That, that's a dangerous spot to be as well. And I told you how he's dealing with me around this, right? In fact, it, it's just it's imperative that we recognize that he's coming and stay faithful over the things that he has given us, right? We've got to stay faithful. Now, that is the end of Matthew 24. But when you go flip the page and you look at Matthew 25, he starts out with two parables. First one is the parable of the foolish and wise virgins, as if not to drive a point home. Keep in mind, there's no breaks in the text here either. There's chapters, yes, I understand that. But if you read it as one continuous thing, because there's no break, Scripture doesn't say, and he went somewhere else. Scripture doesn't say he did this. It's continuing on. 
And his same message here, right? So when you look at the parable of that, the foolish virgins in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, and I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but read it. The point is they were all virgins. Every single one of them was a virgin and was ready for the bridegroom, well, wanting to be ready for the bridegroom. But five had no idea when he was coming. Their lamps weren't trimmed. They didn't have the light to be able to go in and be with the bridegroom. The five foolish ones didn't have any oil in their lamp. They had to go and buy. They had to go. They lost that time of intimacy to keep the oil in their lamp trimmed and ready to go. The Lord has warned every single one of us here. If you've been in church, he's told us, be intimate, be intimate, be intimate, be intimate, be intimate. Focus on me. Focus on me. Stay close to me. Stay close to me. Right. That's what we have to do. Why? Because he's trying to make sure that we got oil in our lamps so that when he comes, we can hear a trumpet. Right. So that's the first thing it is, is that, look, not everyone that's a virgin is going. Not every Christian is going. Not everyone that calls themselves a Christian is going. Right. Now, the very next parable in Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. How amazing is that? I'll tell you what, man. Christ had a style. <laughs> it was it's <laughs> awesome. Think about it, because what I say, an un- a faithful servant is working and being faithful over the things that they have, right? Mm-hmm. An unfaithful servant is not. Okay? When you use the talents that God has given you, and I know that the talent of gold is worth millions, right? But the point is, is that he gave the man five, it went to ten. Right? You understand that? He doubled it. Why? Because he was put to work, right? More more became because of the work that he was doing and ended up working because guess what? God even says that the that the master reaps where he does not sow. Right? What does that mean? The work, the work that we do. The work that the, the the things like driving the bus, things like teaching, things like doing all that type of stuff that we're called to do, abiding in your calling and then letting God expand it as ever he wants to, right? But if we hide that calling and bury it in the dirt, you know what happens to that last one? He's an unfaithful servant. What's he do? He gets cast out, gets bound and changed, cast out in the outer darkness. So look, as Dave said so eloquently, and this is where I was finishing, we cannot just sit on the pews. Amen. We have got to be working to further his kingdom. And I'm going to remind you what Jose Andrews said when he was here a month ago or however long ago that was. Basically, he said that any Christian worth their weight should be able to win at least one person a year to Christ. One person a year to Christ. That is all of our work. That is all of our responsibility. Right? Any Christian worry. Look, I took that to heart because I failed at that. Just want to be clear about that. I took that to heart. And look, I got some hooks and some jaws that I'm trying to reel in. They're fighting, but I'm trying here according to the leading of the Spirit. But, But anymore... I've been more bold about my faith, more bold about the things, more bold in telling people about Christ, more bold in telling them that this time is coming to the end. I still, even to even yesterday, um, someone was telling telling me about her daughter how wants to wants to to rent a an Airbnb down in New Orleans for Mardi Gras, right? And and I just look at her straight up. I was like, you know what? Jesus is going to have to come back before Isaac and Asher get that old. You know, that was my response. Like, I, I don't know that I can handle anything like that. So that was my response. Right now, she took it as a joke. That's OK. But I was being serious. Amen. Right. And even if she took it as a joke, she's going to remember, hopefully, when the time comes that, you know what? He said Jesus might come back. Maybe I should ask about that. Maybe I should do that. Right. I've had other people that come into my office that have said that and, and that I've said that, too. I've had other people say, look at what's going on. Storms are worse. They, you know, hurricanes are worse. We have wars all over the place. But yet the scripture says that the end is not yet. Right. So we don't know how bad this stuff's going to get. And we're going to have to walk with the, with Jesus Christ. And if you don't have an intimacy with him, you're not going to make it. I'm sorry. That's the fact of the matter. We have a time now 
where we can have get, make sure the oils in our lamps get intimate with him, spend time in his word, spend time with him, pray, do all that type of stuff, be about his business, work effectively in what God has called us to do. That time has been given us now. He has warned us about what's coming. And if we don't use it effectively, we are no different than these foolish virgins. And guess what? When the bridegroom comes, the door's shut and it's locked and you're not getting in. I'm sorry. Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. Right? I'm sorry. But that's the fact of the matter. He would go into these parables and discuss the faithful and evil servant. We have two churches that are here right now. We have a faithful church and we have an unfaithful church. You want to call them wheat, tares? You want to call them sheep and goats? Whatever. Take your pick, right? There's so many different parables around this, right? Okay? But here's the thing, is that the warning here is that Jesus Christ is coming back. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, you can't be a faithful servant. If you don't think he's coming back, it's not possible. Right? But if you believe he's coming back, then you can be. And you got to be about his business and about his work. Right? Think about it. If you were on the job and your boss walked by and you were playing games on your phone, what would he do? I mean, honestly, what would he do? Probably get written up, right? Do it again. What happens then? You probably might get a second written up, depending on what your your progressive discipline policy is. Do it a third time, it's kind of three strikes you're out, right? You're going to get fired at that point. But we don't want to treat God like that. We want to say, God, you're gracious. God, you're loving. And he is. But to whom much is given, much is required. And if you're not going to do the work, you're not going to get the reward. You're not going to get the payment. You understand that? You're not going to go. Well, we we crossed the. We would call that legalism now. And my friend said he never thought he would live to see the day when obedience yeah. would be called legalism. That's exactly. But that's exactly what you've taught tonight could not be taught in most church of gods, especially if the pastor's 40 and under, mm-hmm. because they don't believe it no more. But. That, well, you mean, I, I don't get in on my work. No, I no. agree with you 100%. But because of grace, I will have works. Yes, Amen. you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. James said that faith without works is dead. That's right. Your work is dead, or I'm sorry, your faith is dead if you're not working for the kingdom. That's in essence what Jesus said right here. If you're not doing the work, being faithful over it, you're being an unfaithful servant. You don't believe. And guess what happens if you don't believe? You're an unbeliever. And the truth is, whatever the love of my heart is, Jesus taught in 6 Matthew, where your heart is your treasure. treasure That's exactly it. If we're not, it's because my heart is not with Christ. That's exactly it. I don't know how many times you can scream that. I know. I love her. She doesn't allow me to have a girlfriend. <laughs> exactly. It. But we think Christ, anything I put before him is a mistress, spiritual idol, and a spiritual adultery. We no longer believe that. No exactly. I know. We don't believe it in the holiness church, which flabbergasts me. And Dave and I went to breakfast the other day, and we had a long discussion about that. And and I'm just gonna I'm gonna share a little bit here, Dave. And forgive me. I don't know if it was you that said it or if it was me that said it, but I know we both agreed with this. We have made God into this all-loving, all-kind, hey, don't worry about your sin, don't worry about if you're not doing things the way you should do it, don't worry about all this other stuff, kind of deity, right? God is meaner than what you think. Amen. I'm just going to be honest with you. I shouldn't say, that's exactly, that's exactly where I was going, Tammy. Maybe means the wrong word, but he is just. So if you're going to go and you're going to do your own thing, you're not going to be about the work of the kingdom. You're not going to be doing the things that a faithful servant would do. How can a just God reward you? Amen. The answer is he won't and he can't and he won't. Right. He refuses to. Grace gets you in the door. Yes. But your works is a responsibility for the salvation that you have received. Do you understand that when he gave his whole life for us? Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of the Almighty God, to offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. When he gave his whole life for us, we are supposed to turn around and give our whole life back to him. That's the cost. 
That's the price of salvation. And I'm not talking about the sugar-coated salvation that the church has been given for now. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting pretty bold about this because, frankly, I'm tired of it. I'm not going to love church people who I have been sent to. That is my calling. My calling is to the church, to teach the church, to warn the church as a watchman on the wall of the things that God has given me. I am not going to stand here and love you off a cliff or into hell. If you're walking off that cliff, I'm going to tackle you. And I don't care if I break your leg. I don't care if I break your arm. I don't care about the skin knees or anything else like that. I'm going to tell you the truth so that you don't fall into being an unfaithful servant and get rejected by the Almighty God. Amen. That's the fact of the matter. And that's where we have got to be as Christians. And it's not just my responsibility or Dave's responsibility. It is all of our responsibilities to watch out for each other. If you see me starting to walk off a cliff, you better tackle me. No worries, buddy. I mean that. I honestly mean that. Because I don't want you to. Or if you see Heather or Isaac or, or Asher when they get older, I don't want any of you to hide any truth from me, no matter what you think my feelings may be. Because frankly, I don't care. I want to know the truth, because without the truth, I cannot walk with Jesus Christ. Amen. I cannot walk with him without it. And that is my responsibility. It's Dave's responsibility. It's Bill and Trace's responsibility. It's everyone's responsibility to do that for each other. That's what it means to be a church body. That's what it means to be held accountable to each other. That's what it means to be members fit jointly together for a purpose. Amen. I just want you to understand that, right? And I'm preaching a little bit here right now, so bear with me. I know I've gotten off the teaching thing. But at the end of the day, you've got to understand this. I cannot hammer this home enough. Because if we fall into being an unfaithful servant, we are going to fall and miss the rapture. Amen. And guess what? I don't want that because I held back the truth in you. Right. If I'm truly your friend and I say I truly love you, I'm going to tell you. If I don't, then I'll let you walk off the cliff. And I'll let you do that if I don't love you. But if I say I love you, and I do, I'm going to be honest. Amen? Amen. That's all I got. Anyone have anything else before we close here real quick? All right, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, we come boldly upon your throne of grace, Lord, to obtain mercy to help them in time of need. Lord, first and foremost, Lord, we just give you the glory and the honor and praise. We worship you. We thank you for all things, Lord. And Lord, as we continue on in this walk, draw us all into being that faithful servant. Make it country plain, as mom used to say, Lord, for us and what the calling is and what the purpose is and what the work is that you want us to do, Lord. Make it as plain as possible. Do not let us miss it unless we, to, to the point where we have to willfully turn away. Make it that, cl that plain to us, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for all those things. For each of these kids in here, Lord, allow the seed that's been given to take root, allow it to grow, allow them to see you working in their life every single day, Lord. Give them the hope where there is no hope, Lord, in the way that only you can, Lord. And Lord, if we come back together, Lord, we just give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.